Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. We, we've talked uh, about how love covers a multitude of sins, but what does it look like for our words to be a fountain of refreshment? Do, do, do other people, when they think about you, think, oh, that person's words are a fountain of refreshment? Do people come to you as a love well because you love well with your words? Like, is that how people think of you? Could you be thought of that way today? That your words are a fountain of refreshment for other people? That they find life in your words? Or are your words, do your, te- do your words tend to be like a torrent that leaves other people overwhelmed and swamped and discouraged and drowning. and Yeah. So let me just encourage you today um, to think about people whose words are for you a fountain of refreshment and how your words could be a fountain of refreshment to someone else today. I do want to cover one quick headline before we jump into our conversation with our friend Dave Buring. Uh, so uh, last week, the end of last week, the FDA approved the, wor- the world's first pill to treat postpartum depression. It still requires an approval by the DEA, but that's expected within, uh, you know, just the next few weeks. So this is another resource in the toolkit to battle a condition that affects a half a million women every single year and their children and their families, their husbands, their uh, their communities. This um, postpartum depression is real. Maybe you have suffered postpartum depression in the past. We're not talking here about, you know, maybe what people tend to euphemistically call the baby blues. We're talking about real suffering. And if you suffer from postpartum depression, um, I recognize it can be debilitating and you are not a bad mom and you're not alone. Something like 15% of every woman who has a baby um, in the United States, experiences very real postpartum depression um, up to a year following the birth of that baby. Uh, it can be accompanied by anxiety, shame, guilt, impaired sleep, panic attacks, suicidal thoughts, um, real harm. And so I want to say to you today, if you're pro-life, who are you pro-life for and for how long? We need to be supporting women who are pregnant, and we need to be supporting moms um, after the birth of that baby. Around the world, we do something, I mean, as the United States of America, we support a program that's called the First Thousand Days, and it starts at conception and it ends when a child turns two. Why don't we do that here in the United States? 
I mean, what would it look like for us to be committed to to somebody for the first thousand days of a baby's life from conception to their second birthday? It's a critical window. Stephanie is 31 years old. She lives in New York. She says, six days postpartum, I woke up having this horrible sense of dread, like something terrible was always about to happen. Over the course of the next week, those feelings evolved into feelings of helplessness. I felt lonely, even though I had people around me. I felt like I wanted to crawl out of my own skin. Jessica describes it this way. She's a 27-year-old mom from Arlington, Massachusetts. She said it felt like a weight of the world was literally on my chest. I begged my husband just to come and sit next to me and put his hand on me because I felt like that was the only thing that could ground me. Lynn's a 38-year-old mother of two. She lives in Boston. She says it was like standing at the bottom of a well. I was looking up at a circle of light. People were having a normal, happy life up there, but I couldn't climb out. If you are um, suffering from postpartum depression in the midst of it right now, I want you to hear me. You're not a bad mom, and you're not alone. Um, There is help. I encourage you to talk to your physician, get help from a mental health professional, and recognize that there's there's medicine out there, too. And this new one um, is very effective. You only have to take it for two weeks. It comes in a pill form, um, and it's on the horizon. Help is on the horizon. And so I just wanted to share that um, development with all of us today. Our friend Dave Buring is going to join us next from Lion Share. We're going to talk about an experience that um, I got to participate in. It was called the Leadership Games. I think it is a transformative way of approaching um, how we disciple generation to generation in our vocations. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Dave Buring is back from LionShare. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Hey, good morning. So you and I um, recently had uh, an opportunity to um, participate together and work together in something called the Leadership Games. And folks that uh, listen on a regular basis know that I was um, off doing that for a couple of days. It was your vision. It was your event, you know, sort of like your friends meeting your friends. So I thought it would be fun just to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I was really grateful you were there. You added so much to it. And uh, we really appreciated your jumping in, not just practically with some of our, what we called our social conversations about some of the challenging topics in our world, but also just your encouragement. And so we were delighted that you were there. Yeah. It, it was a sweet, sweet thing for me. I'm still kind of digesting it all because it was one of those things that you, you know, we've all experienced this maybe in different ways, had carried for about three years. And to mm-hmm. watch it kind of unfold in front of you almost exactly like you had seen it and hoped was just amazing. So grateful that the Lord showed up. So sometimes we learn something from another leader by the way they lead us into something and through something. And so I want to point out to you some things that I learned from you in this process. Um, and maybe my first um, thing that that I want to observe is, like, as a leader, we shouldn't be afraid to ask people to make big commitments. Because when you asked me to consider um, joining <laughs> you in this adventure yes. that is now called Leadership Games, first of all, it didn't exist. It was it it was, you know, something you were casting out there and as a vision. Um, and you asked for a 26-month commitment 
from leaders like me. And that's no small, like that's nothing small to ask. But I was, I mean, prayerfully, but also quick to say yes, because I love what you do at Lionshare. And I, if this was something that I could participate in, um, in terms of walking alongside people in an, in an emerging generation, then I wanted to do it, even though I didn't exactly know what I was agreeing to do. Yeah, exactly. I I told Cheryl over this last year numerous times, Cheryl's my wife, for those of you that don't know, I said, honey, I think there's going to be a lot of our leader friends that some at some point during our five-day, four-night event together are going to go, oh, now I see these pieces coming together. And I I was delighted to see that. And and I, you know you know my heart on this but but trust me i couldn't be more full of gratitude for the friends that were willing to jump into a a vision that they saw and had to walk in a bit by faith and trust and relationship but then to see the way god poured his life through them to touch others was was remarkable for me to see the other thing um that i'll observe is that you gave us the pieces that we needed as we were ready to use them or as we were ready to add that on, you didn't give it all at the beginning because it was more than we would have been able to imagine, absorb, create, like all of those things. So you invited us all in, but you also only gave us what we needed at the time we needed it. Can you talk about that as a just in terms of yeah. a leadership process? Yeah, and thank you for observing that i i do appreciate that it, it it like for me inviting people into a 26 month commitment which meant for you know my 40s to 70s friends who were pouring into the 20s and 30s and that's what really the leadership games is all about to disciple um younger leaders both spiritually and within their vocation so they walk in a godly way vocationally as well we had asked people for a commitment of 15 months which began in April of 22 through June of 23 of just preparation through going through some common materials. So we were on the same page, learning how to use those materials through the practicing within your vocational teams. And then there was a three month segment as a part of that on the back end that had to do with, you know, looking at real life problems within your vocation, which are things we addressed at the leadership games. And then we're together five days, four nights with these twenties and thirty somethings. And then, you know, there's a 10-month commitment on the back end of it, which is taking them through the very same content spiritually in smaller groupings within their vocation to disciple them. So um, when when I look at all that, I just thought, Carmen, I I don't want to bog anybody down. Everybody's got lives. They've got families. They've got careers. They've got other things they do. So for me, it was a very intentional thing. Okay, I think if I just ask them for two hours a week, where they're walking through some stuff on their own then they for an hour and then they meet for an hour in a small group where they're applying it in their lives that's enough and then when you got to finish that the end of march then in april may june it was hey here's some of the you know rehearsing for the real life kinds of things that you guys can begin to look at and then when we showed up on the tuesday for 24 hours together before the event started and the participants came there was other layers of things. I was just like, okay, now's the time to kind of add this. And then when we were done, kind of on that last morning before we all said goodbye, hey, here's pieces you want to think about in light of the next 10 months and beyond. So a lot of it, I'm I'm aware of how 
challenging life is for me, for all of us. So I'm just trying to be sensitive to people so they can carry what seems appropriate. If that makes sense. Yeah, super helpful. We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring. We're reflecting together on an experience we recently had. It's called Lion Shares Leadership Games, an opportunity for those of us who are, let's say, of an age and maybe further along um, our experience and path of discipleship to prepare ourselves over the course of time, but then to walk with younger disciples um, who are also in our um, in our similar vocation. So we're going to talk a little bit about vocational um, ministry or in terms of like doing discipleship in the context of your of your vocation and why that's such a good mentoring fit. Um, and we're also going to uh, reflect on a little more of sort of I'm I'm making observations about Dave's leadership style and things that I learned from him about leading during this event. And one of those is spiritual warfare. So we're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Dave Buring. So, Dave, one of the other things that I um, observed and then also participated in, I will describe it that way, um, mm-hmm. in the lead up to the leadership games, um, we were aware in our in our small team, in the, um, you know, in the media arts group um, that, you know, spiritual warfare, we were feeling we were feeling it in different yeah. levels in different ways. And we experienced yeah. that across our leadership team in other areas as well. Um, and so I appreciated how you led us um, and how humble you were in acknowledging the reality of what we were all dealing with. Yeah, I um, I think because of of early on in my eighteen to twenty five year kind of time frame in my life, I was a missionary with Youth of the Mission, and it it my YWAM experience gave me kind of a lens for that because I just began to realize that whenever you advance God's kingdom, the whether you want to call them the devil, Satan, the powers of darkness. Our, our enemy of our soul, whatever you know, language you want to use there, is going to push back because he does not want God's kingdom to be advanced, meaning more people exposed to it, more people responding to Jesus, him changing their lives, them fulfilling their God-given destiny. He just doesn't want that. And um, I've learned over the years that, and this is, comes from some of my football playing and football coaching, that the phrase we used to use is the bigger the battle, the bigger the victory. 
And so if our team was 8-0 and we played a team that was 0-8 and you won, you were just, you know, it just wasn't that big of a deal. You should win. But if you're playing another team that's 7-1 or 8-0 and you win, man, it's just a big victory. And I've kind of learned over the years that when the spiritual warfare around an event seems to be a bit more intense, like Sean and I looked at each other several times in our own journey over the last month before it, and we just said, this must be going to be really good, you know? And and sure enough, it was. And then to hear when we are all together, just some of the stories that happened in our lives of just the enemy, if we could use the word harassing, you know? Um, and uh, But together, I think we all kind of tried to walk right before the Lord, and he just came through. Yeah, he did. It was um, it was a joy. Uh, my experience of it was um, very refreshing. The I I felt a little like camp, which is good. Yeah. I think we don't yeah. we don't yep. like go to camp much as adults. It was a little you know it was campy, which was fun. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to just highlight for folks because they might be listening and saying to themselves, "Well, you know that's really nice for them, but I I can't do that." But this is actually something you can easily duplicate. There's a curriculum. We've talked about it on on a number of occasions. It's called a discipleship journey. You can find it at lionshare.org. Part of the process is I went through the discipleship journey curriculum with a small group in preparation then to now lead others through the same. And so that's actually something, Dave, that anybody listening right now could get engaged in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's no better time than now in light of where the world is and what God wants to do, you know, in the lives of our listeners and and through their lives. And so it's a tool that um, doesn't take a lot of time, as you've heard of described already this morning. The the reality is, is you can just carve out an hour and each week where you take your Bible, there's a little 10 minute video you can watch you know, on your phone or in your tablet. And um, and then you just dive in to a certain lesson with the scriptures. And it's really something that is scriptural centric and just gives you things to think about around the, the scriptures that you can apply to your life. But it's key topics. Some of them, you know, Carmen, you and I've talked about over these last several years, like how do I hear God's voice? How do I walk in godly relationships? You know, the topic of spiritual warfare, what is that? How do I, how do I win those battles? Um, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? What, what is the impact of the cross in my life? Uh, all those kinds of things. So it's a a very methodical and intentional pathway that as you go through it, you begin to be equipped to help others do the same. So the whole aim of it is reproducing disciple makers so people can multiply the things of God in the lives of others. Okay, repeat that last statement because you say that a lot, but we need to hear it more than once. Yeah, it's letting God do the things in our lives so that we can reproduce those same things, the ways of God, God's character in the lives of other people. Again, so they can do the same. It's it's Jesus's model is disciple making. It's a reproducible model. It's not just sit and go to church and just kind of pick and choose what you like. It's actually letting God transform you so he can pour his life through you to help transform others. So this reproducing component, like I'm now engaged um, in the discipleship journey with a couple of young women who I met through this process who are, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, it, it, it's not like they are radio hosts, right? So when we say vocation, we are talking sometimes about a very broad category. Category, uh-huh. You might be a doctor, and so healthcare might be the broad category here of vocation. Uh-huh. Um, and so 
when we talk about walking with somebody that is not as far along on the path of discipleship as we are, talk about the importance of that. Talk about the importance of those of us who are more mature in the faith, really like being willing and Mm -hmm. desire, having a heart of desire to walk with people who are just now coming along. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And I, I've, I feel like we can get deceived in our American culture that it it all is about as we get older, you know, into your fifties, into your sixties, into your seventies of just doing less and not having any responsibilities and not, you know, contributing to society or the body of Christ anymore. And that, and that is so far from the truth. I mean, yes, our pace changes for sure. Uh, But, but the commitment to, advancing Jesus's kingdom in the lives of other people is something that I hope I can do till my last breath. And I believe it's one of those things that, that, you know, you, you start and then it catches fire in you. And, you know, Carmen, you've lived long enough. I've lived long enough that we've seen people that we invested in who are, who are just this precious person that God showed you to pour things into spiritually so they could grow. Maybe you came alongside them vocationally. And then, you watch in 10, 20 years later, the roles God put them in. And, you know, I always like to tease and say, like, look, how, how do you not know that the person that you're investing in right now, who might just be working a nine to five job, it's something they don't really want to do, but it's paying the bills, that one day they might be the person who is known for impacting the nation of Iran, which no longer is a Muslim nation, but now is a Christian nation. Like, you know, you just, you don't know. And that's part of the exciting thing is, is you disciple people, not for your work. You disciple people for Jesus and his kingdom. So he places Mm. them where he wants them. And that gets pretty exciting. That's so good. That's so good. Um, Dave, we're going to talk the next time um, that you're with us. We're going to talk about God and our job because it's going to be Labor Day-ish. And so when we um, when we think about God and our work, like that's just not an arena that God doesn't care about. I think there's people that just Mm -hmm. imagine, well, you know, my work is what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so maybe tee that up for us. Maybe give us a little bit of a like why why we're even having this conversation surrounding vocations. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Our vocation is a place where, again, sometimes we just um, can be short-sighted in looking at, well, it's, it's a place that I work so I can pay my bills. Fine, true. However, there are also certain giftings that God has given you that I don't have, that I really need in my life. And, and you do this as a, profession as a career. I like the word vocation because there's a sense of, from some of the original language of that word uh, of calling to it. And God opens doors for us and gives us assignments in society. So if like you can step back and just go, okay, what's my assignment? My heavenly assignment with a God-given design that God has put in me that I can be a blessing to people's lives. And knowing that as you do that, there is this thing called pay that happens. So bills are paid and family is blessed and all that kind of stuff. But but there's something that I think we can get caught up into the 40, 50, 60 hour work week and we're exhausted and all that. And I think it's really important to pull out, look a little bit at it and go, okay, these are unique giftings that I have that God wants to bless other people through my life with. 
And so we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. All right. We're talking with Dave Buring. We're going to catch up with him a little more um, at a later date. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. I'm really encouraging you to um, consider a discipleship journey, consider engaging in it yourself, consider um, walking in it with others, particularly younger folks in your um, in your vocation. It's a wonderful opportunity um, to express the things that God has already invited you into as a disciple and then to just have the joy um, of walking with others as they discover the same. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, big shout out here. Um, Jan, thank you so much for um, hearing and responding to the conversation about postpartum depression and for putting us in contact with your friend who's got a ministry related to that. Um, spit. Thank you. Thank you for that. Shout out to Jessica listening right now in Kenya. Uh, she is uh, across the pond and uh, doing, doing, the, doing the work of the Lord, even in the midst of their um, family vacation and event. Um, she's being a Faith Radio ambassador, and she sent us a little video of what she's up to over there in terms of blessing people with the Faith Radio app and inviting them into the ministry. So, you know, that is taking a vacation with a purpose right there. So thank you so much for that. I'm almost reticent to mention his name, but the shooter who carried out the most deadly anti-Semitic attack in American history was formally sentenced to death by a federal judge in Pittsburgh last week. Um, and so we want to talk about the death penalty. We want to talk about the moral gravity of that and the appropriate use of it um, as a people. So Adam Carrington is going to join us next. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how what we believe about God and what we believe about this life and the life that is to come, what we believe about um, our role in the lives of one another in terms of um, life and death. Like, what is our responsibility in those things? And how, how does what we believe affect not only how we treat ourselves and how we treat God, but how we treat other people? Um, the story of Lori Vallow Daybell as a part of this conversation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Adam Carrington is back. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Glad to be back. I think um, maybe for people who have forgotten what happened, um, maybe retell at least a portion of the story that leads us into the conversation about the sentencing of the person who carried out the worst anti-Semitic attack in American history. Um, what what happened? Yes, yeah, so there is a building that actually uh, operates as a synagogue for three different congregations of uh, Jewish believers in um, <clears throat> Pittsburgh. And this has now been almost five years ago, four and a half years ago, in late October of 2018, a man walked into this uh, facility where three different um, worship services of different kinds were going on. It was a Saturday, uh, the the Jewish uh, uh, Shabbat, and they and opened fire and ended up, uh, I believe, 11 people were, were killed and others injured. In the attack, the attack we later found out seemed to be um, directed at Jewish 
people uh, uh, for their uh, for their ethnicity and their race or and and their beliefs. Pardon me, uh, their their religious beliefs, and so therefore the killer who who perpetrated these atrocities was just um last week sentenced to uh the death penalty uh, there really was no question about whether he was going to be guilty i think he even pled guilty but the sentencing was the question what would be the the punishment that would be doled out for this and so that very long process as far as the judicial process came to an end last week with a jury deciding in favor of the death penalty you highlight, and I'm, I'm reading here from a piece that's posted at um, World Magazine, WNG.org, by uh, Adam Carrington, with whom we're speaking right now. Um, you talk here about justice, facing justice, and you also talk here about the need to remember. Could you, could you highlight both of those points for us? Right. Uh, well, I was wondering, because uh, we, we wanted at, at World to do something in response to this, given what a important story it's been over the last few years. And I was trying to think what would be an angle. And obviously there is the, the angle because so much has been said about it, uh, that the, that, that there needs to be, um, as much justice as one can try to realize in this world. Um, but I was thinking of how can we, how, what can, this uh, tragic event and and something of its conclusion help us to remember how how can we use it and the idea of remembering and one is remembering the need for justice and that we have governments in place so that individuals don't take vengeance for themselves so that there is an orderly process but that god has ordained that orderly process to try to have some way of maintaining order and some modicum of realizing good in this world, uh, even if it's a faint shadow of what will happen in the hereafter and in, in, in the new heavens and new earth. Um, and so I try to develop too, though, that there's uh, difficult memories that come with this, not just the memory of the shooting itself, but the fact that it's connected to a long, long, long history of anti-Semitic violence against the Jewish people, the uh, going back to biblical times. Um, and, Finally, to remember, even as we have expressed for years uh, outrage against what was done in this instance uh, and the people whose lives were taken because of it, leaving remembering some concept of grace and some concept of mercy. So I try to close with the uh, a story and then a story to point to the idea that uh, we should be praying for uh, this this killer, this murderer, this person who who did these terrible things that he would know grace uh, through, through Jesus Christ, um, as, as, as hopefully we all do. So that idea of memory and its connection to an event about justice, but helping us to remember uh, the good and the bad of this world and hope for the next. Hmm. Can we um, pivot in our conversation and talk about this very strange and odd um, doomsday mom story. Um, for if you're listening and you're not familiar with the story of Lori Vallow Daybell, um, she is uh, like like the shooter in the case we just discussed. She's unrepentant. She does not view what she did as wrong in any way. In fact, um, she believes that she was um, 
carrying out, I guess, her own form of strange justice in the murder of her, um, a murder of her children, Joshua seven and Ty Lee um, sixteen. She says um, that she, it was. She says, I mean, this was part of what is recorded in her testimony. I would like to start by quoting John from the New Testament in the Bible. In chapter eight, verse seven, Jesus says, um, uh, "You that is without sin among you, let him cast the first uh, stone at her." And then in verse fifteen, Jesus says, um, "Ye judge after the flesh; I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true." She says, "Jesus knows me, and Jesus understands me. I mourn with all of you who mourn my children um, and Tammy, which is the third victim in this case. Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. He knows. I mean, she goes on and on and on. She knows that no one was murdered. Or Jesus knows that no one was murdered. Um, uh, I, that's just not true. Um, and um, so a person's delusion can be propped up, not only with scripture, but in her case, by believing things um, about God and spiritual realities that are completely bereft of the truth. Can you can you just help us walk around in this as Christians responding to people in the culture who have very different ideas about reality, but then in this case where Scripture and Jesus are brought into a very, very public conversation um, and grossly misrepresented? Right, and this is this certainly could be used as a a bludgeon <laughs> by others, uh, I think, against uh, Christians. Uh, one, I think there's there's I mean, it, obviously, there's lots of bad theology in it beyond just trying to justify murders. Uh, I I went through and and was just stunned at 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 a lot of what I, I read in it, and I think what a thing to keep in mind with it is. Just because someone cites God's will and cites scripture doesn't mean they're interpreting it rightly, and it doesn't mean that they themselves are in a position necessarily to interpret it rightly. And I, I mean that in, in I should explain both. Uh, with first not no not necessarily interpreting it rightly, um the the easiest place to look is at uh, Jesus being tempted by Satan in in the in the desert uh, in the wilderness that he he quotes scripture to Jesus and Jesus has to correct him now he corrects him with other scripture um, because that still is the standard but uh, even if the devil can quote the Bible and 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 distort it and misuse it. Um, than any regular human can. And when I say someone maybe not in a position to, I think this is a more special case, you could say, because um, I, I, it's hard to read this and believe that if she is genuine about this, that that she is maybe in her right mind, um, that she's, uh, you know, either she is unbelievably manipulative um, uh, in a very depraved sense, or uh, uh, she has really uh, uh, lost touch with with reality in a certain sense, and and so I think that recognizing that those things can happen while still upholding that um, Scripture is from God, uh, that God is the the loving, generous, wonderful uh, uh, creator that He is, but also a righteous one. Uh, I think that's the things we have to hold together. 
uh, when when people start to ask, well, is 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 this really what Christianity is about? Is this really what's legitimate about it? I, I think uh, that would be at least a start. Yeah, and then there will be those who who I think ask a legitimate question. You, it is hard to watch, listen, read um, what this person has said and not come to the conclusion that she's insane. And so the the criminal culpability, you know, I, I, I'm like, if you were ever going to say that somebody's not responsible by reason of insanity, I mean, I, like, I guess why, why is an insanity defense not used? And is it not used because the person is operating out of a belief system that by some standard in America, because it's a religious belief system, is not considered insane? You see my, cha- do, you, do you see my challenge? Do you see what I'm trying to ask? Uh, yes, and uh, and I, I I'll admit to I, I don't know all the background of this this case, so I don't know the degree to which maybe she has refused to allow that to be uh, oh. a defense of her, uh, because the a, a defendant t- to some degree has some power over that, uh, as long as they are able to at least present semi you know uh, 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 sanely, uh, and uh, but. You know, I, I yes, I think it's true that there might be some reticence to make a distinction uh, of what one what what beliefs are sane or insane. I mean, I do know some people that think you know Jesus' resurrection is insane <laughs> thing to believe, mm-hmm. um, but that shows a great distortion here in uh, I, I think in the idea that. Uh, God speaks through nature and God speaks through scripture and they don't contradict. And the idea, I mean, we just, even non-Christians know the idea that you would destroy your own children Mm -hmm. and try to say that God had said that was true and right, just is something that just doesn't check out with even the reality of non-believers. You know, when Paul in first Corinthians bashes uh, the Corinthian church for the, some of the sexual sins they were uh, permitting and celebrating. He goes, not even pagans <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. agree with this. And, and and that's where I think that I understand giving deference to religious beliefs, even if they are beyond the pale. But this, this is, I think, an entirely different matter that uh, is in its own category. All right, we're going to pivot. Um, let me ask this. What's your credit score? Um, has your borrowing power been decreased recently mine has i'm not exactly sure why but it happened i'm not alone the united states financial rating has been lowered as well we're going to talk about what that means next with dr adam carrington you're listening to mornings with carmen have you ever wondered where god is when you feel like you need him most do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath are you confident in that do you trust in that Susie larson has a brand new book closer than your next breath. Where is God when you need him most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. So we want you to win yours at myfaithradio.com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath. And we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at myfaithradio.com. 
All right, what's your credit rating? Um, what's your credit score? What's your borrowing power? Adam, what's going on with the United States of America and our financial rating? Well, there are three major um, group, international groups that independently rate uh, and assess uh, uh, international financial transactions, uh, including countries. So a lot of the uh, way that people uh, across borders internationally trust Americans and American businesses has to do with how these credit uh, rating companies uh, assess their financial uh, abilities, capabilities, stability. And so one of them, uh, Fitch Ratings, uh, downgraded the United States from what was the highest rating, which is AAA, to what's called a double A plus, and uh, did so. And, and I, I think I'll back up and say that um, I don't think that the the drop in the rating from one of the three companies alone is going to send us into any kind of financial tailspin. Um, but the reasons that they gave are, I think, uh, a bad and long-term reasons that could say that this is sort of a warning bell for some future problems. Because the reasons they said they did it was, well, one, they thought we might have an economic recession in the next couple of years. That's not a huge deal in the sense of those come and go. But they said the other two was the fact that we now have, uh, I believe, over $30 trillion in debt mm-hmm. and that when we have tried to do anything to address it or when we've tried to do even things like basically pay the interest on our debt raising what's called the debt ceiling for those who have been following that it doesn't is nothing serious is done it becomes a a a place for kind of political brinksmanship that um that that uh shows a lack of seriousness about dealing with our financial situation and says that down the road um, the chickens of not keeping our financial house in order could come to roost. And so a lot of people, no one's, most people aren't saying that this is uh, something that's going to like send us into an economic collapse. It's that this is pointing toward and that other people are seeing a problem we have with our own financial house and being responsible with the money that we've been using. All right, next you and I are going to have a conversation about who and who, who is and who is not a pastor. And this is a complicated conversation. Um, Moody is at the center of this, the Moody Bible Institute, which is based in Chicago, founded by evangelist Dwight L. Moody in 1886. Um, they offer, quote, a Bible-focused education, practical ministry training, equipping students to serve as representatives of the Christian faith. On Monday... Moody Bible Institute filed um, a brief in the United States Court of Appeals, um, and this is in relationship to seeking protection for their religious belief about female pastors. I'll just go ahead and confess, it's it's uh, confusing to me and speaking out of both sides of your mouth when um, when you're Moody and you let women teach in very public settings like the radio and you publish them. <laughs> Um, because you want to sell their books, but you don't want them to have a particular title. So I, I think it's confusing, and yet I'd love to hear your take on it. Sure. And uh, one one 
thing I'm looking at it for uh, being, you know, teaching politics and, and constitutional law is the angle of uh, what deference will courts give to um, institutions acting on their beliefs? Now, yes, uh, th there could be a claim about whether an institution is being consistent on its beliefs, and that would be something you could present in court to say that this is really a pretext for something else uh, because there's not a consistency there. But uh, I think the broader principle that is going to be interesting as well is do institute religious institutions get deference for their religious beliefs in who they hire, who they fire, what they understand to be their 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 doctrine and how they act on it. And um, and that's going to be a question because there are going to be more and more lawsuits based on, yes, questions of gender, but also questions of uh, sexual orientation and and other things where uh, churches and church affiliated educational institutions are going to get pressure to um, uh, uh, comply with laws that may cause them to, to violate their own beliefs. So I think that's going to be an interesting question uh, in addition to the question of whether that institution is itself acting consistently, of course. But uh, then the broader question is, even when they are acting consistently, does that is there a protection for them to follow what they believe is is right according to their religious beliefs? And and I think that's something that's going to have to get worked out. How far does that protection go and when and what would be a step too far? It's a super interesting conversation. We look forward to it as an unfolding um, uh, unfolding conversation. Adam, as always, thank you so much. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it's Dr. Adam Carrington. You can find him in Hillsdale College. You can also find him at World News Group, where he regularly writes, wng.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, do you want to live longer? Uh, here is a formula. Play with your grandkids. Or play with somebody else's grandkids. Yeah. Uh, apparently, if you um, are active with little kids, like as an older adult, if you are active with little kids, you're going to live longer. Um, so that's kind of cool. The other part of this conversation that um, emerged as this like study of grandparenting across the country um, is that apparently only 33% of Americans are able to name all of their grandparents. So can you name all of your grandparents? Morton, Nettie Mae, Holland, and Robina. Those are my four grandparents. It also occurs to me that when my grandkids are asked that question, can you name all of your grandparents, uh, is going to be more than four. So can you name all of your grandparents? How many is that? Um, I have four grandparents. How many grandparents do you have? If you are a grandparent, among how many grandparents are you a grandparent? Mm -hmm. I am a grandparent among, well, I guess it depends which which set of grandkids you're asking that question of. Um, yeah, two, four, six, eight. Yes. So there you go. Grandparenting, um, it's important. If, uh, if you're more active with little kids, you're going to live longer. So there you go. Encouraging you generation to generation. We got another hour together up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.